Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Good morning. It's Friday the 15th of December here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Europe's central bankers go their own way with vowing to keep rates higher for longer as traders begin to plan for the Fed to cut first. Hungary vetoes a new EU aid package for Ukraine, leaving Kyiv without new US or European support. And why Georgia Maloney and Rishi Sunak are facing controversy over their respective plans to tackle migration. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Europe's central bankers have pushed back against market bets on interest rate cuts as traders begin to align to a timetable where the Federal Reserve reduces borrowing costs first. Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey batted away questions about a change in policy in the UK. We've seen an unwinding of many of the shocks that we had, the big shocks that we had last year, particularly related to the war in Ukraine and so on. But there is this persistent element to it, which we've got to take out. So my view at the moment is, it's really too early to start speculating about cutting interest rates. We've got to see more progress. A third of Bailey's Monetary Policy Committee even voted for a hike in yesterday's decision. They see the UK's tight labour market setting it apart from the US. Meanwhile, the European Central Bank president says that policymakers should not lower their guard in the fight to bring down inflation. Christine Lagarde spoke after the ECB kept its deposit rate at a record 4% in yesterday's meeting. We did not discuss rate cuts at all. No discussion, no debate on this issue. And I think everybody in the room takes the view that between hike and cut, there's a whole plateau whole beach of hold. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know, solid liquid gas. You don't go from, li- from solid to gas without going through the liquid phase. So. Christine Lagarde's words come as Bloomberg reports ECB policymakers are united in expecting to cut rates later than markets anticipate. But traders still see some 150 basis points of ECB cuts next year. Hungary has blocked a new €50 billion EU financial aid package for Ukraine. The 26 other European Union leaders had supported the deal at a meeting which ended in the early hours of this morning. European Council President Charles Michel says they'll pick up discussions on the matter in 2024. We will revert uh, to this uh, matter early next year and we will try to get uh, unanimity uh, in order to make possible uh, for us to implement this. 
Michelle also stressed a need for unity on the issue among member states. The news comes after EU leaders agreed to open discussions on Ukraine's membership. That was after Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, who's a vocal opponent of Kyiv's accession, did not participate in the decision. Meanwhile, President Vladimir Putin is vowing to achieve victory in Ukraine. Speaking in Moscow on Thursday, the leader outlined his targets in the region. The peace will come when we reach our goals that you have mentioned. And coming back to the goals, they remain unchanged. I, I will remind you, it, it means denazification, demilitarization of Ukraine and its neutral status. President Putin there speaking via a translator. The address marks his first end-of-year news conference since the conflict began nearly two years ago. US intelligence now estimates that Russia's total troop losses from the war are 315,000 since February 2022. The Kremlin leader plans to stand for re-election also in March 2024. Officials are aiming to portray Putin's widely expected victory as an endorsement of his war in Ukraine. China's central bank has injected a record amount of cash as the economy falters. The PBOC offered lenders an 800 billion yuan boost in one-year loans, more than twice the amount seen by analysts in a Bloomberg survey. It's a move that will give banks more money to buy government bonds. Economic activity was not great in November as retail sales missed estimates and the housing market is continuing to decline in terms of prices, sales and investment. Now, Bloomberg has learnt that Citigroup is to close its municipal bond business. It's one of the most dramatic moves yet by the chief executive, Jane Fraser, as she looks to squeeze better returns out of the Wall Street giant. The bank has decided the business, which has tumbled in the rankings for underwriting state and local debt, is, quote, no longer viable. Bloomberg's Sally Bakewell says it's a shocking fall from grace. City was an absolute powerhouse in this four trillion market for U.S. state and for local debt. It it helped on deals for some very prominent um, buildings and landmarks, such as the World Trade Center rebuilding, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Bakewell's team say that, according to top executives, the move will affect about 100 employees. In a moment, a 50 billion euro aid package for Ukraine remains blocked by Hungary. We're going to discuss the European Leaders Summit with Bloomberg's John Fillain, our European government editor. Uh, but to something a bit lighter, it is Friday after all. After all, forget leaves on the line. There was a bull on the line in New Jersey, in the United States, I hasten to add, not anywhere in Europe. Uh, And so um, perhaps this is a metaphor for what's been happening in markets throughout this week. Maybe yeah, well, that's the story. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. I mean, certainly a lot of bulls to be found yesterday in parts of the market too. But I mean, I'm just imagining the text messages people were sending home on their commute <laughs> saying, sorry, train delayed. There's a bull. Cattle. Cattle um, on the line. Yeah, apparently New Jersey Transit say that everything's back to normal, but they had to put out, I think they tweeted out the photographs, obviously, yeah. and otherwise no one would have believed them. Right. Okay, well, let's turn back to those big central bank decisions um, as we are, of course, digesting the week that has seen a pivot from the Fed, but European central bankers uh, not in any rush to start cutting interest rates. After yesterday's decisions, we also have the first PMI readings this morning for December from France, Germany, the Eurozone and the UK. We've got our chief Europe economist, Jamie Rush, with us this morning uh, to explain. Jamie, let's start with the decision from the ECB. Um, How much or how little did Christine Lagarde and company open the door 
to rate cuts? Well, they, they, they tried a, a valiant fight back against market pricing, but I don't think they really succeeded. Um, sadly, the lesson is that um, when Powell speaks, markets listen. Uh, when Lagarde or Bailey speak, they, they don't really. Um, so, so what did we see? Well, she kind of she pushed back against the idea of any near-term cuts. She ruled out, um, or she said that they did not speak about cutting interest rates, uh, and she did kind of flag the thing I thought was quite clever was she kind of she 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 identified some data that they needed that would only be available after one queue. So wages data, profits data, that lands later. Um, so I think markets are currently pricing the first hike fully priced is in April. Um, our forecast is that that will happen in June, but it wouldn't take a huge surprise. Uh, for that to be brought forward. So we'll see what happens with the GDP data. We'll see what happens with um, with inflation and, and mm. as, as I say, it's possible to be sooner. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what did we learn from the quarterly projections from, from the view from the ECB? Well, they're kind of reasonably optimistic on growth. They don't see any, uh, any contraction going ahead there. So of those room in the forecast therefore for if, if it comes if we see a weaker performance than that and the economy slips into recession then they can obviously point to that and say that oh, that's a good reason to accelerate the high kick the um the cutting cycle so um and we also know that the the inflation numbers are going to come down pretty they're going to go back up but they're going to go down pretty steeply in the first quarter so again there's nothing really constraining the ecb inflation is not that bad in in the eurozone um they could cut pretty much any time in the first half if they wanted to. They'll just need to find a motivation for it. What was it about the bond buying programme, Jamie, that we should be paying attention to? Um, this is the pandemic era bond buying programme, PEP. So the, the the thing about PEP was that they needed to make a decision about it or they felt a need to make a decision about it before uh, starting talking about interest rate policy. So. So it kind of has opened the door to or has created some bandwidth for them to start thinking about interest rates. Um, the PEP programme is going to be wound down pretty slowly uh, over the second half of, of next year. That's going to create a little bit of pressure on, on governments who are still likely to be issuing quite a bit of debt then. Um, but it's not, it's not a game changer. Uh, they've still got other tools they can use if, if everything falls apart. Yes. And when it comes to the new data that we have out of Europe today, um, what do you expect for the PMI readings? Well, the PMIs have been showing a kind of a general picture of broad stabilisation of the outlook. That's what we've seen over the past few months. They've been sort of flattish in, in quite depressed territory, but a little bit flat uh, with a little bit of improvement last month. So we'll be looking to see if that, that improvement is sustained. If it is, that would point to the outlook evolving as the ECB expects. If instead we see this, uh, you know, a worse thing of the PMIs, that would be a sign that the economy is, is heading into something more um a more protracted downturn, perhaps, than, than the ECB is expecting. So they, they'll be important and they will be quite um, a key element to be watching over the next few months as we think about what the ECB is going to be doing. Jamie, can you help us tie together the the central bank decisions that we've had this week? We were it was it was a blockbuster lineup. We were waiting to see if this was going to be the start of a global monetary pivot. Is what we've learned at the end of this week that actually it's just a US monetary pivot? Well, I think that's what we've learned for now. I don't think that there's a good chance that that narrative isn't sustained, though. I mean, as we as we heard, 
Lagarde, Bailey both pushed back on market pricing and didn't really succeed in, in, in that endeavour. So attitudes, of course, could change on the Governing Council and on the Monetary Policy Committee over the next few months, and we could easily see that that pivot does, in fact, still take place. But I, I think the, the main point, though, is that they prob both central banks are probably going to be a little bit delayed relative to the Fed. So if the Fed goes in March, I wouldn't expect the ECB and the bank to go at the same time. Okay, good stuff, Jamie. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Bloomberg's Chief Europe Economist, Jamie Rush. Well, let's take you to Italy for our next story. And the waters of the Albanian resort town Shengjin, haven for tourists in search of Mediterranean scenery at bargain prices. And if Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney gets her way, they'll soon be joined by as many as 36,000 migrants as Rome tries to reroute asylum seekers from its shores. It's a controversial immigration policy that has echoes of the controversy facing the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak as well. Rishi Sunak is a Attending, along with the billionaire Elon Musk, a four-day political event hosted by Giorgio Maloney's Brothers of Italy party this weekend. Joining us now is Alessandro Migliaccio uh, in Rome. Alessandro, good morning to you. Immigration is a significant, even a totemic issue in many countries in Europe. What is Giorgio Maloney's plan? Good morning. Yes, Giorgio Maloney, uh, basically, as we, we many analysts have told us, she's creating a problem that really in a country like Italy doesn't exist. In fact, we need more immigration because Italy has a demographic crisis and she's finding solutions to the problem. Rather bizarre and possibly illegal solutions, but it's doing you know enormous good to her ratings because people feel like she's trying to act. And because it's unusual, let's put it that way, um, you know, it has it, got, it gets all the more attention in other countries are looking too because well I mean we do know as you said that Rishi Sunak has tried to do something somewhat similar uh, with Rwanda he's still struggling with that as well and now it's Meloni's turn and she's proposing Albania which is a country near by and who knows what they will talk about you know uh, when he comes to Italy possibly about maybe sending some of uh, England's migrants to Albania. Yes, but how much opposition does Maloney face, I mean, both in her own parliament and also in Albania? She does. Um, in Italy, she does have a very strong majority, although, of course, many, many people have complained, humanitarian organizations have complained. Uh, basically, legally, it doesn't make much sense. Also, because you can't, because of laws on people, migration, you can't send anyone, so they would have to separate the women, for example, uh, and the children from the men, essentially, you'd just be sending the men on their own without their families. You'd be separating families. So then you're in another situation that's possibly illegal, et cetera, et cetera. In Albania, she's facing a much more opposition. Um, the, the president of Albania will also be in Italy this weekend, is all for it. But the courts uh, have said that they need to think about this and they uh, temporarily stop the approval from parliament. Parliament can't, will not be able in Albania to uh, immediately approve this, they have to see if indeed it is legal because you are creating an enclave that will be managed by Italians inside Albania. And it is absolutely not certain that that is allowed. So there's a lot points to this thing, maybe never happening, but at least, you know, politically, she looks good to her voters. This is all happening as Rishi Sunak and Georgia Maloney are, are going to be meeting this weekend at this political festival. Elon Musk is also attending. What's the goal of this event? What does Georgia Maloney want to show? I, I mean, I think it's just political. We're looking at European elections coming up. She wants to show that she um, it's a party conference. 
it's been going on for more than 20 years, so it's something they do. But she knows that in this case, if she can get people like Elon Musk and Rishi Sunak to come, then she's elevating it to a higher level. It becomes more of a European issue or world global with Elon Musk, really. And he also wants to talk about demographics and about Europe. And that will give her visibility. It will put her in a position where she is no longer a strange, possibly fascist outsider on the far right, but she's much more of, you know, a center-right politician that is someone who could maybe lead the European right in parliamentary elections that are coming up next year. Okay, Alessandra, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Alessandra Migliaccio there, our Western Europe economy correspondent, uh, taking us through her, her deep dive into Giorgia Maloney and another controversial migration plan, you know, trying to send some asylum seekers to Albania, facing opposition though. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF. Now, European Union leaders will reconvene for their last summit of the year today. On Thursday, they were unable to agree on a new financial aid package for Ukraine, but unexpectedly agreed to open membership talks with Kyiv. Joining us now for the latest is John Fellainer, European government editor. John, good morning to you. So Hungary abstained on the vote, allowing the membership talks to be opened with Ukraine, but it used its veto over the aid package. What happened? Yes, good morning. Well, it's quite quite an extraordinary scene. And basically, it was an idea by the German Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, uh, that the Hungarian Premier, Viktor Orban, basically uh, leave the room um, to enable the decision on the start of the membership talks to, to be accepted by, um, by the, the EU leaders, because it does requ- require unanimous approval. Um, that tactic um, seems to be uh, almost unprecedented. Um, it was not used... Uh, for the budget. So um, the decision in the end was to postpone um, the talks and agreement uh, on the financial aid package for for Ukraine um, into into January. Um, the reason being that it's part of negotiations over the long-term EU budget, and that's why Orban is holding out on it. One of the mm. reasons. Okay. Is there a chance that other leaders could convince Viktor Orban to change his mind somehow? Well, look, I mean, the backdrop to this is, of course, um, Orban's very close relations with Vladimir Putin. And there's not much that the EU leaders can do about that, at least in the short term. Um, So there will be negotiation. There will be wrangling uh, on the budget. Um, One possible plan B is for um, the 
other uh, leaders, the leaders of the 26, apart from you know, excluding Orban, uh, to go ahead on their own and, and, and work out a bilateral way of, um, of getting the, the aid package through for, for Ukraine. John, what does this tell us about support for Ukraine uh, in U- the European Union? President Vladimir Zelensky looks to be struggling militarily, but also diplomatically, to get the international support that he's seeking. Well, look, the, the aid package is a very bad look, obviously, uh, given what's also happening in the, in the US with the money being stalled there. So we're going into the new year um, with both the US and the EU, uh, key, key allies of Ukraine, of course, uh, not managing to, to deliver on on the constant, constantly repeated pledge of we'll do whatever it takes. Um, the, um, the, the, the positive sign is, of course, uh, the agreement on starting the membership talks, but even that, that's not going to happen until March. Um, it's got a huge um, symbolic value, uh, but in the practicalities, it's going to take years of negotiation. The, the last uh, member to join the EU, Croatia, the process took 10 years. Yeah, indeed. And, and so what about the other countries in the Western Balkans who've also um, been in the process for, for many years? Are there concerns that Ukraine's membership will end up perhaps leapfrogging theirs? Well, I mean, there's concern that there's concern that it's not um, that the, the process is not fair in the sense that um, obviously there are, there are preferences as to who should should go ahead first or not. Um, but the, the, the EU leaders did did agree to open membership talks um, with Moldova, um, and they did grant candidate status to Georgia. So that's all. That's all going to keep keep going. But obviously, it's very very much tied to um, the situation, the rule of law in each of these countries, progress on reforms which are essential uh, for the for the EU. And as you say, it's a very long process and, and many of those countries have been in it for even longer than a, a decade as well. Um, at the same time, John, we heard also from Vladimir Putin yesterday, um, his usual marathon news conference returning, uh, very much sticking to his uh, mantras around the attitudes to Ukraine. How, how is that being viewed in, in Brussels? Well, it's, it's, it's provoking frustration and, and consternation among many because because of the failure of of the uh, of the EU to, to to show that it is unanimous in in backing in backing Ukraine, especially when the the counteroffensive is, is stalling. Yeah, um, the leaders are going to also go on though to discuss um, not just Ukraine but other conflicts, other issues today, including um, the Israel Hamas war. Again, is them. Is there a unanimity on um, the EU's view on this and, and how to how to deal with this enormous challenge too? Well, the, the EU laid bare its divisions right at the start, just after uh, October seventh, when um, there was there was um, different positions on, on on what to do with, with Palestinian aid. Um, there are also different positions on. Uh, whether to have a pause, pauses, ceasefires, which we've seen in, in the past few weeks. So, um, but that that's expected to, to be ironed out, um, possibly with a, a more general statement. We've also seen agreement by um, EU envoys on the 12th package of sanctions on on Russia, and uh, we're also expecting talks today on on migration. But that's a, a very very long term, very div- divisive. Uh, issue in which countries like Italy on the front line, which are 
which are uh, receiving many migrants from across the Mediterranean, uh, keep appealing for solidarity, for help with returns, for help with, with dealing with the asylum process. Uh, but that's a very contorted um, uh, issue for, for the leaders. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.